In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. I'd like to thank my brand new sponsor, Feels, for supporting my podcast. Ship to your doorstep in just a few days. Feels CBD is the natural, healthy, better way to feel better. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash gold and you'll get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Well, yields on U.S. Treasury bonds continue to creep higher, hitting new post-COVID highs. In fact, the yield on the 10-year closed today at the highest yield of the move, one spot 746. 30-year yields, though, not quite at a high at two spot 425. You know, I'm noticing that the spread continues to narrow between the 10-year and the 30-year bond. Now, I think this is an aberration. I think at some point soon, you're going to start to see these spreads widening out again. And in fact, that may coincide with the next major up move in gold and silver and down move in the dollar. Because what's happening right now is these rising bond yields continue to support the U.S. dollar and put continued downward pressure on the price of gold and silver. In fact, both gold and silver got beaten up pretty badly on Monday and Tuesday before recovering a good chunk of those losses today. In fact, gold retaking the 1700 level. We were down, I think, around 16 80-ish yesterday. We closed today at 1708, up about $23 on the day. 
Silver back above $24, uh, closing at $24.41. So it had dipped below it yesterday. But the real catalyst that was pressuring uh, gold is the rise in interest rates. That also was supporting the dollar index, which hit a new high for the move marginally. We're not seeing a runaway dollar, but the dollar index is above 93. Uh, So back with that handle, 93.19 or 93.20 is about where we closed today. And that was off a little bit from yesterday's level. But you know, a lot of people are jumping to the wrong conclusion here when they're looking at the price of gold falling during a time period where many people think it should be rising. Because after all, look at all this money printing. Look at these huge deficits, which are about to get even bigger. And I'll discuss that later in the podcast with this new infrastructure bill that was unveiled today. But with all this money printing and all these deficits, shouldn't this be the perfect time for gold to shine? And the fact that it's not, The fact that it's dimming is causing a lot of people to now jump to the wrong conclusion that the reason gold isn't going up is because it's been replaced by Bitcoin, that Bitcoin is the new inflation hedge. It's the new gold. And this is proof. The fact that gold is not rising when it should be, but Bitcoin is, although Bitcoin is not really rising, it's just hanging out near the highs. In fact, as I am recording this, We are above 59,000 or just barely on Bitcoin, but Bitcoin hasn't been making new highs as gold's been selling off, but Bitcoin hasn't been selling off either. It's been kind of hanging out not far below its record high. And of course, everybody that owns it assumes it's going to keep on rising. Meanwhile, gold is still quite a bit below its all-time record high uh, that we set last year, middle of the year, above 2100. So since Bitcoin is near its high and gold is kind of pulled back quite a bit from its high, that's where you're getting people jumping to this conclusion. But they're wrong. The reason people are selling gold is not because they're buying Bitcoin instead. Most of the people who are selling gold have nothing to do with Bitcoin. Yes, on the margin, there could be some people that have decided to do that, but it is not about inflation. Yes, I believe there's going to be a lot of inflation, But that's not what most people think. Most people think that the Fed has got inflation under control. In fact, the reason people are selling gold right now is because they're not worried about inflation. They should be, but they're not. What they believe is that, yes, inflation is picking up as measured by consumer prices, but they expect the Fed to be on the job. After all, they believe everything that... uh, Powell says they always believe the Fed and the Fed says that if inflation gets above 2%, if expectations for long-term inflation are no longer anchored at 2%, then the Fed has the tools to deal with it and the Fed will use those tools and the market is taking the Fed at its word. Now, it shouldn't do that based on its track record of never keeping its word and moving every goalpost it sets. The markets are pricing in rate hikes to fight inflation. Therefore, they're not worried about inflation because they think the Fed will put out the fire before it really gets going. That is why you're seeing the yields on the 10-year treasuries rising more than on the 30-year treasuries. Because if you want to think about the 10-year treasury, it's really a compilation of the yields on all the shorter-term treasuries, like a one-year treasury, a two-year, a five-year, right? You have to add all up together to create that yield curve for the 10-year. And so what markets anticipate 
is for the Fed to start raising rates to make sure that inflation doesn't run too hot. And then when those rate hikes cause a recession, rates will start to come back down, which is why the 30-year yields are not rising as much because people are not expecting a long-term rise in inflation. They still believe the Fed when the Fed says it's transitory, but in order to prevent it from becoming permanent, the Fed will have to raise rates, which will then slow the economy down, maybe put it into recession, which will ultimately result in rates falling back down, which again is now being factored in to the 30-year. Now, I think the market is completely wrong. I don't expect the Fed to fight inflation. I think it's going to surrender to inflation without a fight. If the markets actually believed that, then they wouldn't be selling gold. They would be buying gold. And eventually, the markets are going to figure this out. They're going to realize that the Fed is wrong. Remember, the Fed said at the beginning of the 2008 crisis, or in 2007, before the crisis started, that the problems that we were seeing in the subprime market were contained. We didn't have to worry about it. It was contained to subprime. No big deal. And everybody believed the Fed. The Fed, of course, was wrong. Now, the Fed is making the exact same assurances with respect to inflation. Don't worry, it's transitory, right? It's not a permanent uh, jump in inflation. These big price hikes that we're seeing are going to be reversed, so there's nothing to worry about. And again, just like the markets believed the Fed when the Fed said that subprime was contained, they now believe the Fed when it says inflation is transitory. Well, the Fed was wrong then about subprime, and it's wrong now about inflation. Inflation is just as transitory today as subprime was contained back then. They're wrong, and the markets still don't know it, but when they start to sense it, that's when they're going to be buying gold. And that's when you're going to start to see the yields on the 30-year bond rising more than on the 10-year bond because now we're going to have to price in 20 more years of inflation. So when those spreads start to widen again, and they will, and people start losing confidence in the Fed's ability to fight inflation, start accepting reality that inflation is going to win without a fight, that it is impossible for the Fed to actually do what the Fed is saying. And remember, the Fed always claims it can do the impossible. It said it was going to shrink its balance sheet back down to pre-crisis levels before 2008. I knew that was impossible. That's why it never happened. The Fed said they were going to normalize interest rates. The market believed them. I said, no, it was impossible. It's never going to happen. I mean, the Fed has been bluffing that it can do the impossible since the beginning, and the market just buys into it. And when the Fed ends up not doing what it promised to do, for some reason, the Fed has yet to lose credibility, even though with me, it has none. Uh, with the average investor or the institutional investors, they still believe the Fed. Well, that's all part of this bubble. Well, that thing is going to pop and the Fed is going to lose that credibility. And you're going to see that in the bond market. You're going to see it in the foreign exchange market when the dollar really starts to roll over. And you're going to see it in gold. But again, in the meantime, you have a lot of people jumping to false conclusions that somehow gold selling off is validating Bitcoin as the new inflation hedge. Bitcoin's got nothing to do with inflation because Bitcoin has no actual value that you can store. It has no price that could relate to any other commodity because it isn't a commodity and has no use case. Bitcoin marches to its own drum. 
It's going up because people are buying it. It's got nothing to do with the dollar. It's got nothing to do with interest rates. It's got nothing to do with inflation. The price is going up because people want to buy and other people don't want to sell. At the end of the day, the price of Bitcoin can come crashing down even if we have massive inflation. Because if nobody wants it, then what's it worth? Nothing. And so it's not going to be an inflation hedge. In fact, this bubble could pop even before inflation really gets out of hand. But in the meantime, you don't want to confuse gold's failure to rise with some type of vindication of Bitcoin. Gold's failure to rise is simply a result of the market's failure to understand what's going to happen. It's their misconception that the Fed's got the situation under control and that they're going to raise interest rates to restrain inflation. That's what's keeping gold down. It's not that people aren't buying gold. They're buying Bitcoin. They're not afraid of inflation. So the institutions aren't buying gold or Bitcoin. They're buying stocks. But when they realize that they're wrong about the Fed's ability or even willingness to fight inflation, they're going to be buying back all that gold that they sold. In fact, gold's going to go up. But of course, bonds are going to go down even more. That's the key is because when the markets understand that inflation is going to be much higher than what they believe and that the Fed is going to do nothing about it, that's actually more bearish for bonds than the belief that the Fed will raise interest rates to fight it. Because then it's not just the increase in short-term rates that has to be factored in temporarily to these yields, but you now have to factor in a permanent loss of purchasing power in the dollar. And now when bondholders realize that there will be no inflation fight, that inflation is going to get higher and higher and higher, then those bondholders are going to have to start building those higher expectations into the yields, the interest rates that they charge the U.S. government uh, to loan them money. Right now, that's not happening. Right now, investors don't expect inflation to get much higher than 2%. And if it gets there, they expect the Fed to push it back down. But when the bond market has to start factoring in or discounting 4% inflation, 5% inflation, 6% inflation, then interest rates have to move much, much higher. So when the markets figure out that they've got this wrong, they're going to keep selling bonds. In fact, the selling will intensify in the bond market way beyond what is happening now. And that's going to cause the Fed to have to print even more money to try to prevent interest rates from rising in an economy that's so levered. But the gold selling is going to reverse and turn into buying. In fact, it's going to be ferocious buying because people are going to have to not only buy gold, but buy back the gold they already sold. Some people might be short. So when people realize that they've got this thing wrong and they have to reverse their trades, we could see a very big move in a very short period of time. So the people who are saying that gold is dead and are already writing its obituaries, they are completely wrong and they will be proven wrong in the very near future. CBD isn't about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel. Stress, anxiety, pain, and feels is a better way to feel better. Feels is a premium CBD that will help keep your head clear and you'll feel your best. It's hassle-free, delivered directly to your door. CBD naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. There's no hangover or no addiction. In fact, let me tell you how Feels worked for me because I had been having 
a lot of problems sleeping, not falling asleep. I fall asleep very quickly. My problem was staying asleep. I would keep waking up at night several times, and then it would take me a long time to fall back asleep. So I tried feels. All I do is I take a little bit, took maybe a half of a eyedropper and just put it underneath my tongue right before I went to sleep. And the very first time I did it, I slept all the way through the night. Can't remember the last time that happened. And I've been using it ever since. Now, I don't always sleep through the night. Sometimes I wake up, but the big difference is I immediately fall back asleep much quicker than before I was using it. Again, it's easy to do. All you have to do is place a few drops of feels under your tongue and you'll feel the difference. The thing to remember about CBD is finding your right dose is important and everybody's dose is different. In fact, Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide you through your personal experience so that you find the perfect dose. The Feels customer service team is dedicated to making sure you get the best use of your CBD. Joining the Feels monthly membership makes your self-care easy. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. So start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com gold and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. What do you have to lose except a bad night's sleep? That's Feels, spelled F-E-A-L-S dot com slash gold to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. That's feels.com slash gold. Now I want to start talking a little bit about the new infrastructure bill that President Biden unveiled today. In fact, he kicked off the whole thing with a speech that he gave this afternoon. In fact, I just started recording this podcast as soon as the president finished making his speech because I knew I wanted to address his comments in today's podcast. And so he delivered the speech in Pittsburgh and he went over some of the the bigger picture items for his $2.25 trillion spending bill. That's the initial price tag. Of course, it's going to end up costing a lot more than that. And according to Biden, the spending is going to be spread out over eight years. Now, where do you get eight years? Well, I guess he assumes he's going to serve two terms, right? So he's got eight years. And so the spending is going to be distributed over the eight years of the Biden-Harris administration. Hopefully that isn't the case. But in any event, that is the plan. Now, when Biden began talking, of course, he talked about the huge Uh, catastrophe that we just went through together as a nation that is still not even over, and that is the war against COVID-19. And he mentioned the 500,000 or so people, I forget the exact number, who died uh, as a result of COVID-19. And he compared this to the number of Americans who had died in previous wars, World War I, uh, you know, World War II or Vietnam. And, you know, this number exceeds Uh, those numbers. As a public person, I am hyper aware of safety and security. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays offline. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process, helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts will take it from there. Delete 
Meetme sends you regular personalized privacy reports showing what information they found, where they found it, and what they removed. Delete.me isn't just a one-time service. Delete.me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information that you don't want on the internet. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete.me. Now at a special discount for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete.me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com gold and use the promo code gold at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash gold and enter code gold at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash gold, code gold. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a life therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash gold. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. And the idea was that what we've just been through with COVID is as bad as a world war, which of course it's not. These are not valid comparisons. What we just went through in America in the last year pales in comparison to what Americans went through during the four years of the Second World War. To say that we have been through anything even closely resembling a world war or even Vietnam is sheer nonsense. I mean, yes, a lot of people died, but most of these people probably would have died anyway. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to be callous and, you know, yeah, there are some people that might still be alive today if they didn't get COVID, but a lot of the people who died of COVID, if they didn't get COVID, they would have died of something else. In fact, who knows what they actually died of? They just blamed it on COVID. All these hospitals have a vested interest in in labeling any death a COVID death. They, They get more money as a result of it, but also how many of the people who died of COVID were octogenarians? I mean, a lot of people were dying in their 80s. 
I mean, look, I feel bad, you know, when anybody dies. My mother just turned 80, and, you know, I don't want her to die. I mean, I know she's going to die eventually. I mean, she may not make it to 90. I mean, not many people do. Hopefully she will. My dad didn't. My dad died at 87. He might have made it to 90 had the government taken better care of him. Uh, you know, that's the problem when you put uh, your health care in the hands of the government. You die of skin cancer because they don't do anything about it. But, you know, a lot of people die in their 80s. I mean, that's when most of us die. And, you know, it's sad when somebody dies in their 80s. But in general, I mean, it's not a tragedy because they lived the life. I mean, that's what do you expect? I mean, unfortunately, we don't live forever. That's about our life expectancy. And when you die in your 80s, most people consider that you had a good life and you were fortunate enough to make it into your 80s because a lot of people don't. There are a lot of people that die in their 30s and 40s. They have you know, diseases or accidents or whatever. So generally, it's considered a success story uh, when you die in your 80s, right? I mean, sure, I'd like to live into my 90s, into my 100s, uh, but it doesn't happen that often. So yes, a lot of people who were older and who lived long, rich lives uh, died maybe a little bit sooner uh, than they would have died had there not been COVID. But you cannot compare that to young men dying when they're 18, 19, 20. I mean, look, I would be very upset if my mother died, but I would be more upset if my 18-year-old son Spencer died. Spencer's got his whole life in front of him, right? I expect to see my mother die. I don't expect to see my children die. That's the tragedy. I, I, I know that my parents are going to die. And in fact, hopefully they die before I do because that means that I die too young. I don't think any of my parents, I mean, I'm, my father is probably glad that he didn't live to see me die. And I'm sure my mother doesn't want to bury me either, right? So there's a big difference. Burying your children versus burying your parents, especially when your parents are in their 80s. So it was a much bigger tragedy when you had all of these young men die in their teens and early 20s before they had children, before they lived their lives and, and, and fulfilled their dreams. That is a tragedy when parents have to bury their children, something they never expected to see. So when Biden is trying to say that, hey, this is just as bad. In fact, as far as he's concerned, this is even worse because he's just counting the numbers, right? Uh, and he's also not looking at the costs, the emotional costs uh, of that war and the real, the real life costs and the destruction of not only lives of capital and everything that went into it. So to, he is just overplaying how bad this was. We have to keep stuff in perspective. And of course, a lot of the problems from COVID were not from the disease itself. A lot of the wounds were self-inflicted. A lot of the problems were because of what the government did, the government's response. I've said from the beginning, the government's cure for COVID, the fiscal and monetary cure is worse than the actual disease. So the government is responsible for these problems. And now the government is saying it's going to be uh, the one to provide the solutions. But of course, all these government solutions are going to make the problem the government caused much worse. Now, one of the things that Biden stressed during his speech was that there were going to be higher taxes. And I'm going to get into the specific taxes and the specific spending increases when I finish kind of going over what he said. So he said there is going to be higher taxes, but 
not to punish people, right? He's not interested in punishing people that were successful. All he wants to do is make sure that there are opportunities created for other people. So in other words, he thinks the only way to create opportunities is to take money away from the entrepreneurs who earned it and have the government spend it creating opportunity for other people, which basically is is taking a stake to the very heart of capitalism because the tax hikes that Biden is proposing, and he made clear to mention this, are only aimed at people who earn over $400,000 a year. And of course, corporations are a primary target of these tax increases. So wealthy earners and corporations are going to be taxed so that the government can provide opportunities to other people. Now, this is what Biden and everybody else seems to overlook, that the money that was in the private sector that the government wants to take away, that money also provides opportunities for other people. Because when you're taxing the corporations and you're taxing the rich, right, you're not getting at consumption. You're getting at investments. The money that the rich would have invested in new plant and equipment, in new research and development, in new training, all that money that the private sector would have invested with a profit motive, which is the best way to invest money because you are sure that it is being put to good use, that the capital and the labor and the resources that are being invested are being invested productively because the, the, uh, the company is able to sell what it creates at a price higher than it costs to create it, which means these resources are being put to good, efficient uses. That's what you want. But what Biden wants to do is he wants to take money out of the private sector that would have created lots of opportunities in the private sector, and he wants to take that money and have the government spend it and have the government create those opportunities. So the opportunities that government is going to create and provide to the public are going to be at the expense of the opportunities that the private sector would have created and provided if it had the resources to do it. But it didn't because those resources were taken away by government. So the question is, what is better for creating opportunities and economic growth? Is it better when private individuals and private companies invest money on their own with a profit motive? Or is it better to have central planners in government decide how money is going to be spent? Well, obviously, we know the answer. We've seen every single country that has tried to centrally plan its way to prosperity has been a complete and utter failure. The way to have opportunity and economic growth is to have more resources in the hands of the private sector and to limit as best as you can the resources that are consumed by government. So the way to have the most amount of opportunity is to have the least amount of government. What Biden wants to do is grow government, make government bigger. And so by definition, we are going to have fewer opportunities. Opportunities get smaller as government gets bigger. And if you believe that government is the source of prosperity and that government spending creates opportunities and economic growth, well, then you don't believe in capitalism. You believe in socialism. Unfortunately, that's what Biden believes in. And that's what a lot of Americans believe in now. They believe socialism is better than capitalism. They're completely wrong. And they're going to find out just how wrong they are 
as America becomes a more and more socialist and therefore far less prosperous country. In fact, another ridiculous observation that Biden made, and this is one that he continues to make, he talked about unions and he talked about how unions built the American middle class. That's a bunch of nonsense. The middle class was here before unions. Unions were built by capitalism, by free markets, by limited government, sound money. That's what built the middle class. No, no, no. Unions, labor unions, were part of the destruction of the middle class. The reason the middle class has been hallowed out so much, in part, is because of labor unions and the power that government gave them to wreck every company that they infected. That was the problem. The rest of it is big government and regulations and taxes, but the middle class was built by capitalism and it's government that's been hollowing it out and impoverishing it ever since. In fact, the middle class that capitalism built, you only needed one person to support an entire family. One guy without even a high school diploma can have a blue collar job and support a wife and two or three kids. You can't do that anymore in America. It's impossible. That middle class America that capitalism built has been completely destroyed Uh, by government. In fact, Biden kept referring to his big, bold plan that's going to create a stronger economy. How? By having the government spend more money? Again, there is no example of a strong economy created by government spending. Government spending weakens an economy because government spending is a burden on any economy. It's a burden that an economy needs to support. You know, I went over this I think on my last podcast about infrastructure spending, Biden again repeated the fallacy that all these people being put to work, repairing our infrastructure, this is going to grow the economy. It's going to be good for the economy. No, it's not. It's a burden on the economy. Now, maybe if the money is well spent, which I doubt because the government never spends money well, but assuming the infrastructure investments pay off, the payoff is in the future. In the here and now, we have to bear the cost of building it. That doesn't help the economy. That hurts the economy because now we have to divert resources out of current consumption to free them up to enable the building of all the infrastructure that isn't going to pay off until years into the future. So yes, infrastructure can be important and it could make you more productive in the long run, But in the short run, you got to be able to pay for it. You have to be able to afford it. So you don't make the economy stronger in the short run by needing to spend money on on infrastructure. And in fact, all of the infrastructure spending that the government is going to do is actually going to cost a lot more money than it would cost if the government was making these investments the way the private sector would. The private sector would try to be as efficient as possible. And so if the private sector was going to build a bridge, it would try to get the best possible prices on all of the uh, raw materials and all the labor and all the parts necessary in creating that bridge. But Biden has already said that the U.S. government is not going to do that. Everything we built is going to be made in America. We're only going to use uh, components that were manufactured in America regardless of if they're two or three times as expensive as the ones we can import, everything's going to be made in America. Everything we do is going to be American labor, American produced. What that means is everything is going to cost a lot more 
than it otherwise would if we could take advantage of some better bargains that were available to us uh, from offshore. And so again, this is not really about investing in infrastructure. It's about spending money because that's what they want to do. They want to overpay for the infrastructure, which means that even if the infrastructure may have been helpful, if we overpay for it, then maybe we're worse off. Maybe if we just left the infrastructure the way it was, we would be more productive than building overpriced infrastructure because it's all about a cost-benefit analysis. How much does it cost to improve this particular infrastructure and what are the benefits? Well, if the costs today exceed the benefits tomorrow, which could easily be the case if we have inflated costs due to these ridiculous buy America mandates. And of course, I don't even trust the government to try to go with the lowest cost. I mean, I'm sure a lot of these contracts to do this work are going to go to companies that maybe have more minorities, uh, you know, more African-American workers or African-American owned. So they're probably going to skew the playing field. And so we're probably not going to give the contract to the most competitive bidder. It's just going to be the most diverse bidder or the bidders who have the most political contacts within the Biden administration. So this whole thing is going to be a gigantic cesspool and everything is going to cost way more than it should. And so I'm sure none of this spending is actually going to be economically viable, even if we could afford it, which we can't. So it's going to be a drain on the economy in the short run. And that drain is not going to be made up for by improved efficiencies in the long run. Also, of course, when Biden talks about all these millions and millions of jobs that the government is going to create, he always points out that these are going to be good jobs. These are going to be high paying jobs, right? So the government is the creator of good jobs and high paying jobs. See, the private sector, see, when they create jobs, they're no good. They're low paying jobs. So we're going to have good high paying jobs, right? Probably because the government's going to overpay. You see, in the private sector, when you're hiring people, you have to make sure that you're not overpaying them because you have to be able to sell the goods and services that your workers produce. And if you pay the workers too much money, the prices of your goods and services will be too high and you won't have any customers and you'll go out of business. But when the government hires people, since it doesn't operate at a profit, it doesn't matter what it pays workers. It can pay whatever it wants, especially since it can print the money. So the government doesn't give a damn if it's overpaying its workers. And of course, if the government starts overpaying a lot of workers, what does that do to the wages that the private sector has to pay? It puts a lot of upward pressure on those wages. And so everybody's gonna end up paying uh, higher wages if the government just starts overpaying people because it's got all this money. But what's gonna happen, of course, is the value of that money is gonna collapse because we have to print all this money in order to pay all these uh, bills and so all these paychecks don't bounce. You know we're not going to get the money from these higher taxes, despite you know what the government thinks they're going to raise. They're going to raise a lot less, and so yes, people are going to get these high-paying jobs, but they're not going to be productive jobs. They may be good for the workers, but they're not going to be good for the economy, and they won't be good for the workers very long because pretty soon the value of those paychecks is going to collapse because they're going to be paid in money that doesn't buy very much. Because if government was the secret, if high paying good jobs came from government, then why did the Soviet Union collapse? Why was it that it was East Germany that fell apart and not West Germany?
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why is it that every single society, whether it's Vietnam, whether it's Korea, whether it's uh, Hong Kong and Taiwan versus mainland China, of course, before mainland China, you know, decided to become a capitalist country. But every time we've taken a society and cut it in half and you have one half that has big government and one half that has more freedom, it's always the freer half that prospers, not the government half. If government spending created opportunity and jobs, if government provided better jobs in the free market, then this wouldn't be the case. And they would have had walls to prevent people from coming in uh, to East Germany, not going out. Now, another thing I thought was funny about the Biden talk was he even got into smaller things like Internet. And according to Joe Biden, one of the big problems that we have in America today is Internet access is too expensive. And so the Biden administration is going to make sure that more people have more affordable access to the Internet. Look, of all the things that you want to complain about in America, expensive Internet service is not one of them. I mean, access to the Internet overall is pretty inexpensive. Now you're talking about really, really high speed Internet. Okay, you have to pay a little bit more uh, for that. But give it a while. It'll get cheaper. The free market has done a very good job of bringing down the cost of internet access. It doesn't need any help from government. In fact, when has government ever helped bring the cost of anything down? Anytime the government gets involved in something like education, like healthcare, the prices are going up. It's where the government stays out and the free market is in that the prices are going down. We don't need the government to make internet access more affordable and more accessible. The free market is already doing that. And the more the government stays out of it, the more successful the free market will be at lowering those costs even more and expanding accessibility even further. We get the government involved, it's going to go in the other direction. So instead of being worried about the things that the free market is doing well, how about thinking about all the things that the government has already screwed up? And instead of talking about making internet access more affordable, when it's already affordable, how about healthcare? How about education? How about getting those things to be more affordable? And the way you do that is to get the government out because it's government that made healthcare and education so expensive in the first place. So if we want the cost to come down and the quality to go up, we got to get the government out and let the free market in. Anyway, let me go over some of the specific details that were released about the Biden spending plan. So there's $115 billion to modernize the bridges, the highways, and the roads, right? Which, sure, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of uh, bridges that need work, a lot of roads that have potholes. Yeah, I mean, but why aren't the local governments... Why haven't they taken care of this? I mean, this shouldn't even be something that the federal government should get involved in. If there's a bridge inside a state, let the state take care of that bridge with local taxpayer money. This is nothing that the federal government should be involved in anyway. But again, even if they efficiently repair these bridges and improve these roads, the benefits will happen in the future. 
It's the costs that happen in the present. And we can't afford the cost. That is the problem. If we were a rich nation with a lot of savings, sure, we would have money to spend fixing up our roads and our bridges. But we're a broke nation with lots of debt. And so how are we going to pay for all these bridges and roads? We can't, right? We just have to go deeper into debt or we have to raise taxes or we have to print money, which means we have more inflation. So the cost of making maybe badly needed repairs will be borne by the economy today. And so people will feel the weight of these costs. And if they don't feel it with higher taxes, they will feel it through higher prices because spending all this money and printing all this money to fund it means that everything is going to be more expensive. And so when Americans are going to the grocery store and everything they're buying costs a lot more money, part of the increase is to pay for all this infrastructure. $85 billion for public transit. $80 billion to modernize Amtrak. I mean, what... What a money pit Amtrak has been. But yeah, $80 billion for that. They want to spend $174 billion to build half a million electric vehicle charging stations, electrifying 20% of school buses, and electrifying the federal fleet, including U.S. postal vehicles. This, of course, is great for Elon Musk. That's why I think you had maybe a 5% or 4.5% pop in Tesla today because they like all these charging stations because it makes it easier for Tesla owners to charge their cars. And of course, if the government's going to start buying electric cars for all the postal workers, uh, maybe uh, Tesla is going to start making these cars. But of course, the post office is already losing a bunch of money. And if they have to spend all this extra money on electric cars, even if in the long run, they're less expensive to operate, it's going to cost so much money to buy them that this is just going to make the Postal Service even less profitable. Now, I don't know that they're going to raise the price of a stamp to pay for this, maybe, or they're just going to pay for it uh, through this bill, which means higher inflation. $25 billion to upgrade air travel and airports. $17 billion for waterways and coastal ports. $20 billion uh, to regest communities whose neighborhoods, typically non-white, were divided by highway projects. So I don't know why, but so 20 billion uh, to rehabilitate non-white poorer neighborhoods, 50 billion to improve infrastructure resilience in the aftermath of natural disasters. Um, Maybe some of that is gonna make its way down here to Puerto Rico. 111 billion to replace lead water pipes and upgrade the sewer systems. Hey, that's a lot of lead. Prices should be going up there. $100 $100 billion to build high-speed broadband that provides 100% coverage for the country. See, there's Biden trying to make uh, the internet more accessible. $100 billion to upgrade the resilience of our power grids and to move clean electricity to other power projects. $213 billion to produce, preserve, and retrofit more than 2 million affordable houses and buildings. So instead of the private sector uh, making affordable houses, the government's going to do it. Well, you know what? The government can't do anything affordably. If you want affordable housing, the best place to get it is from the private sector, not from the government. Everything the government makes is going to cost a lot more than what the private sector builds. $100 billion to upgrade and build new schools. Yeah, $180 billion to modernize the Veterans Affairs hospitals and clinics. And $10 billion for federal buildings. Yep, we really got to make our federal buildings nicer. I was getting worried there that those things weren't uh, in good enough shape. $400 billion to expand long-term care facilities under Medicare. $180 billion 
to invest in research and development projects, $300 billion for manufacturing, including funds for computer chip sector, improve access to capital, investment, clean energy, $100 billion uh, for workforce development. I guess there's more to it, but you get the gist of it. But again, you look at this long laundry list of things the government's going to do. But what you have to always remember is, okay, the government's going to do all this stuff, but it has to take the money from the private sector in order to do it. So where is the list of private sector investments that are not going to be made to make all these investments or all this spending possible? So we can see what we gain in the public sector, but what do we lose in the private sector? Nobody makes a list of that because nobody knows exactly what that is because we don't know what investments might have been funded had the private sector had the resources to finance it. But if those resources are not there, then those projects are left unfunded. Again, it's the seen and the unseen. The government loves spending money because they can show you exactly what you get for your money. But what you don't see is how much you lost in the process. And believe me, what we lose in the private sector is much bigger than what we gain in the public sector. So it's a net loss. So this announcement of all this money the government's going to spend This is all the money the private sector could not invest far more efficiently than the government spending it. So none of this is going to make us richer. All of it makes us poorer. Now let me get into how the government plans on paying uh, for this boondoggle. Of course, most of it is just going to be inflation. So when Biden says that nobody earning under $400,000 a year is going to pay higher taxes to fund this, He's lying. Of course, that's what the public wants to hear. They want something for free. They want to get all this good stuff and not have to pay for it. Well, the reality is most of the money is not going to come from these tax increases. It's going to come from higher prices. The government's going to print the money. And even to the extent that corporations have to pay higher taxes, well, then maybe they have less money available for wages. And so maybe wages are reduced because taxes are increased. And certainly, If the private sector has less money to invest, then it has less money to hire and there's less money available to give people raises. So I do believe that workers are still going to feel the cost of taxes that end up being passed on to them uh, from, you know, their 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 employers or their you know people who might have employed them who don't. But a lot of it is going to be just in the form of higher prices. But let me go over some of these taxes. So. They want to increase the corporate tax rate back up to 28%. It was 35%. Trump reduced it to 21. Biden wants to raise it back up to 28, which he says is still a better deal than the 35 that was in effect before the tax cuts. But he also wants to impose some other taxes, other minimum taxes. So for companies that have shifted some production offshore, Uh, He wants to make sure there's at least a 21% minimum tax on, um, I don't know what they're taxing anymore, not profits, but they have to have some way to back out some of your costs because there's a 21% minimum tax on uh, income coming as a result of production having been shifted uh, to other countries. And in fact, there's also a surcharge, an offshoring surcharge on income that I guess you can trace uh, to an offshore 
uh, production facility or uh, maybe components were brought in. Not really sure the mechanics for how you add the surcharge, but basically if you add the 10% offshoring surtax to your normal tax of uh, 28%, that would bring your effective tax rate on that income up to 30.8%. But he also has another minimum tax and it's a 15% minimum tax on the earnings that a corporation reports to its shareholders. Now, because there's a lot of companies that are reporting earnings, but they don't have any taxable income because taxable income is a legal definition because the corporate income tax taxes profits and it's an excise tax on profits because the profits are separated from the revenue sources of those profits. So what's taxed is what's left over. So the corporate income tax is not really a tax on income because you can have a lot of income and not pay any taxes. You need to have a profit after you subtract all of your costs. And so what this new tax will mean is that even if you don't actually have a profit because you were able to take advantage of whatever the deductions were, uh, you're going to pay taxes anyway. You're going to have to eliminate some of these deductions and pay a tax even though you don't actually have any taxable profits because you didn't pay 15% of, uh, of your earnings, even though those earnings may not actually amount to a profit because of other numbers that were able to reduce that profit, but are still, you know, I guess the companies exclude them when they're reporting their earnings. Uh, now, maybe, of course, what will happen is companies will just start reporting lower earnings, right? They, they, they won't uh, have these pro forma numbers where they back out certain expenses. Maybe in order to avoid this tax, maybe corporations will start being a little bit more honest about the way they report their earnings. And maybe a lot of companies that are now reporting a profit to their shareholders will now stop reporting a profit and they'll be able to avoid having to pay that 15% uh, minimum tax which is something I've mentioned on this podcast, you know, whenever governments impose taxes, uh, expect people to do their best to avoid paying them. And so a lot of these profits that are being reported that the government is hoping to tax, they may not be there anymore because companies will stop reporting them and therefore the taxes aren't going to come in, which means that more and more of the revenue is going to come from the Fed printing it rather than from taxes that corporations are paying. Now, there's a lot of other deductions. I think he may be talking about eliminating the 1031 exchange in real estate for higher earners, getting rid of a lot of other deductions. He wants to step up audits. Biden is talking about the IRS having more heavy audits of the upper income people and corporations. Now, look, if you want a more competitive economy, the way to do it is not to unleash a bunch of IRS agents on corporate America. And so now all these corporations have to divert a lot of their resources into these audits and, and spend a lot of time dealing with IRS agents and a lot of money and a lot of resources that might have otherwise been used more productively. I mean, there is no way you make America stronger and more competitive by increasing the heat applied on American businesses by the IRS. And that might be particularly true with smaller businesses uh, that don't have as many resources to deal with the IRS 
And so you start entangling a lot of entrepreneurs and there's a lot of small business owners that make more than $400,000 a year uh, that may be tied up in lengthy audits that really distract them from running their businesses and take up a lot of their valuable time that could otherwise have been put to work productively growing their businesses. Instead, they have to deal with the IRS and to the extent that they have penalties and they have higher taxes to pay, well, that just also undermines uh, the, the, the country because that's money that otherwise could have been used to invest in their businesses, to grow their businesses and to hire more people, but instead it gets sent to the US government. They also want to make it harder for U.S. companies to merge with foreign companies. They want to make it maybe impossible to do an inversion, which is where a U.S. company merges with a foreign company and then adopts the more favorable tax treatment of the foreign uh, company. And they want to stop that from happening. Again, all of this stuff will make the U.S. economy less competitive. In fact, Donald Trump was out earlier today, even before the president made his speech, basically blasting the speech, saying that Biden is going to destroy the economy, he's going to wreck the economy, and claiming that, you know, we had the greatest economy in the history, not only of America, but we had the greatest economy in the history of the world uh, at the end of the Trump term, and now we're going to have the worst economy in the world at the end of the, the Biden term. And he may be right on that. I mean, the economy could be a complete disaster at the end of this four-year term, but it's not that Trump handed Biden such a great economy and he wrecked it so quickly. The fact of the matter is Trump handed Biden a bubble economy. He handed Biden the same bubble that he inherited from Obama. It's just that that bubble got a lot bigger when he handed it over to Biden. And it's even bigger now early in the Biden presidency than it was when Trump left office. Now, there is a good chance that this whole thing implodes or to prevent it from imploding, the dollar implodes instead. But one way or another, we're going to be in a complete economic disaster. I think we're going to be early in an inflationary depression at the end of the Biden term. But it's not because Trump gave him such a good economy to wreck. It's because Trump didn't give Biden a good economy. He never fixed any of the problems. The problems got worse under Trump. And now they're getting worse under Biden. But I agree with Trump in that this plan is not going to help. What will help would be massive cuts in government spending. That's what we need. But of course, Trump can't criticize Biden for not cutting government spending. He didn't cut government spending either. In fact, he raised government spending. He raised spending on the military. In fact, he created a whole new department, the Space Force. He raised spending on, on welfare. So he increased spending, he increased the debt, he just cut taxes and said, we're not going to pay for any of it. At least Biden says, hey, I want to spend more money, but at least I want to pay for it. I mean, Biden's approach is a little bit more honest. I mean, it's not completely honest, it's still dishonest, but maybe it's not as dishonest as Trump's approach. But, you know, I don't think Trump's criticisms are going to be taken very seriously. Although, when he is right about the fact that the economy is a complete disaster at the end of Biden's term. Well, then maybe to the extent that he wants to try to run again, well, he'll at least be able to say, I told you so. Mm -hmm.